Today being Baptism Sunday, Sunday when we're going to baptize four individuals, I wanted to take a little time and just talk about baptism. Why baptism? You know, some people might say, well, why do I need to be baptized? Actually, you know, you could argue if you wanted to argue that uh, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. So if he wasn't baptized and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, then why should I be baptized? But I think if we realize uh, the reality of that, well, there was no way that the man could have been baptized at that point. And so um, I think if there's situations that arise where someone cannot be baptized, that uh, I'm sure God makes provision for that. But where we have opportunity, where we have time, and where we can be baptized, then I think the question why baptism becomes, becomes very important. In Matthew, the 28th chapter, a very familiar verse, the 18th verse. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. Amen. First of all, and for Christians, the most important thing is the fact that Jesus commanded us to be baptized. And I think that only qualifies for people who really believe him and follow him because if you don't, you say, well, so he said that, what does that mean? So it means something if we say, you know what, I'm a follower of Christ. I want to follow him. I want to be obedient to what he says. And so if we've decided that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, then when he says go and be baptized, then that carries weight. That carries weight for us that we need to be baptized. And we need to be baptized because we identify with, first of all, that I'm a sinner. If we, if we can't identify the fact that I'm a sinner, that I have a need, if there's no need in my life, then I don't need a Savior. So we have to first identify the fact that we're separated from God. You know, as, as Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned and sin came into the world. And so now we're, we're born sinful. You know, we're not born good. I always say if we're born good, how come you have to teach your kids to be good? You know, you have to teach them. You don't have to teach them to be bad. I have yet to see anybody that had to teach their kids how to say no. I'm not doing that. I was just, I was just, uh, I got to think. I always think about my situations. I got to remember if it's somebody, somebody that I recognize. But, uh, but you know, you see kids that are very defiant with, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. No, I'm not going to do that. You don't teach them that. They learn that. You have to teach them to be nice. You have to teach them to say, thank you. You have to teach them to say, I'm sorry. So anybody that, to me, anybody that thinks that our kids are born good is like, wow, just take a look. Just take a look. So we actually need to get to a point where we recognize our condition, that I don't deserve what God did for me. There's nothing in me that deserves what God does. I don't deserve it. And that's very hard for us sometimes because we kind of like to feel like we get what we deserve. You know, I get what I deserve. You know, if I, if I do good things, I should get good things back. If I do something good for somebody, I should, you know, I should get something good. I, it should count for something. I've heard people, especially at funerals, say, well, hopefully I did enough good things just to tip the scales. Well, I don't want to make you feel bad, but nobody's done enough good things to tip the scales. The Bible says we have all sinned and come short. No matter how good we are, 
you know, in our eyes, and, you know, and probably in our eyes, some people do maybe more good than others, maybe. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we're all the same. So we have to come to the place where I realize I do not deserve God's grace. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve what he did by sending his son, Jesus, to die on a cross. But I have to recognize that that is the way. That God made a way. We separated ourselves from God, and God in his love and grace and mercy made a way. And so the Bible says God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only son to come and to die on a cross. And the Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, while we were still sinners. He looked down. He didn't say, well, they're getting pretty good. I think now is okay. He goes, no, they're still sinners. They're still sinners. They're still, they're still doing the same old thing, and they're still separated from me, but I'm, I'm going to send my son. And he's going to pay a price that when he sheds his blood, that's going to be a payment for their sin. That pays my sin, covers my sin. That's the payment. It's not me. It's not me how much good I can do. It's not me trying to be better. It's not me trying to be good enough. And I so many times I've heard people say, well, I would come to church, but, you know, there's a couple things I'm still working on. And when I get them fixed up, I'll come. And I, oh, that's exactly wrong. Come the way you are. The Bible says we've all sinned, so we come the same. We come the same. And we come and we receive what he has done for us. Deserve it? No. No, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. And that's so hard sometimes for us to accept. And, you know, and just a side note, just to let you know, that God then expects us to treat people like that. You know, we tend to like the people that deserve it. We tend to, we tend to like people that are nice to me. We tend to like people that do the right things. And, you know, that's really against what God says. He says, you know what? He says, you didn't deserve it, and you can't say, well, they don't deserve it. And so we have to realize that he then expects us to go ahead, and he expects us to show that same love. And then in 1 Peter, 1 Peter, the third chapter, the 21st verse, Peter says, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism. He says it's an anti-type, which means it's a symbol. It's a symbol of something. It shows us something. It reveals something to us. He says, it's not the removal of filth of the flesh. You know, I don't know. Paula's pond is like a lot of ponds. They're ponds. So I don't think we're going to go in today to try to make somebody clean. I don't think we're going to remove filth. We're not going to remove we're not going to remove filth on the outside. We're not going to remove it on the inside with water. But it symbolizes it symbolizes something to us. It symbolizes a washing, a cleansing of things being new. But it says it's a symbol. It says but now it's the answer of a good conscience towards God. And I believe those that come and are baptized, that they now make a statement. They make a statement. They make a statement to God. You know, I believe, you know, since he commanded it, they make a statement of obedience to him. 
They make a statement to themselves. Sometimes we need to make statements to ourselves. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to accept some things that God says. We need to make a statement that, Lord, I accept what you say. I accept who you say I am. I have found in scriptures that God usually says we're more than we say we are. We, we, you know, the Bible says we're more than conquerors. There's, the whole, there's tons of scriptures about what the Bible says who we are. And sometimes we need to make statements so we can hear ourselves and know that that's what I identify with. And then I believe we make statements to others. I believe we make a confession of faith. We confess our faith before men. We're willing to stand up. Jesus said, if you won't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. So it's important to stand up and make a statement of faith. People have often said, will you do a private baptism? I would never say never. I don't, I don't you know, I'm not saying never, but I have never done one. <laughs> okay? Because I say, because baptism is a public confession of faith. It's a public confession. It's saying, this is what I believe. And so we identify with what happens. We identify with what happens in baptism. And it says it's not the removal of filth with water. It's not doing something on the outside. But it's a good conscience. It's, it's something's going to happen on the inside. Something, needs, something happens on the inside. You know, we see things on the outside with our eyes and ears, we hear and see things that happen on the outside. But the Bible says that God sees the heart. God sees the heart. That's what he's after. He's after our hearts. And so he wants to know what's going on on the inside. He wants to know what's being cleansed on the inside. So his baptism is a symbol of what's happening on the inside. And so as we, as we come today, we see that it's not just the outward act. You know, it's not the outward act. The outward act, you know, I always say if, if baptism was just an outward act, we should just in, build in sprinklers. We should just build sprinklers in the doorway. And when you go out, we'll just turn them on and everybody get baptized on the way out. If it's, that's all, if it's just an ad doing something, then we'll just wash you all on the way out and we'll all be good. But it's not, it's not just outward but it's a symbol of what's happening on the inside. And that's, that's where it's at. That's what needs to be happening. A change of heart. A change of heart. Jesus talked about something a little bit like that in Matthew, the 23rd chapter. In Matthew, the 23rd chapter, he was talking to the Pharisees. And he was usually giving it to the scribes and the Pharisees. He was, he was after them because they spent so much time worrying about how they looked. And they spent so much time trying to look good for people. You know, and I always, I always say this, that, you know, it's kind of like going to church on Sunday. I think we ought to look good. But, you know, sometimes people think, well, if I can just look good today, I must be good for the rest of the week. Well, you know what? I want to see you the rest of the week. Not just how you look on Sunday. Not just how you, we present ourselves. You know, isn't it awful when your kids mess up right before you get to church? And, you know, they come into church acting awful and, oh, you know, oh, I don't want nobody to see my kids like that. Well, that's how your kids are. You know, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to try to get them all to behave right before church. 
You know, I mean, it's nice if they do, but, you know, it doesn't always work. As a matter of fact, I always found that my kids figured when I came to church that dad would back off now because he'd be embarrassed to do something. You know, that was always kind of the way I saw it, that the kids, the kids saw it as an opportunity. And so I can still remember growing up, children leaving the sanctuary. It's a little different nowadays. But when I grew up, children left the sanctuary, and they, they, were, they were saying words as they left as they were carried out. No, no, no. Because they knew what was coming. They knew what was coming because, you know, we was trying to make them learn to behave, which is okay. You know, it's okay. But the reality is God sees our heart. So no matter how good we try to clean up on Sunday or no matter how good we try to act on Sunday, God knows who we are. He knows who we are. And so these Pharisees who kept trying to look good, they kept trying to keep up the image and impress people probably and impress God maybe. In Matthew 23, 25, Jesus said to him, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! Because you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside then may be clean also. Change your heart. Don't try to just clean up the outside. Don't try to look good for people. Don't try to think there's some kind of an image, you know, that we have to live up to. But we need to realize that God looks at the inside. He looks at the inside. And that's where we need to allow him to work. And that's where the Holy Spirit wants to work. Now, I will say this. My observation is that a lot of times when you cleanse the inside, the outside changes. Now, that's where a lot of times it becomes a witness to people because when God works on the inside, things happen on the outside. People may start to smile more. They may start to look at life differently. They may start to change some habits. Maybe their vocabulary changes a little or a lot. But, you know, things do start to change on the outside, but it first has to come from the inside. And I believe that we also then have to be careful when we look at people. You know, what do we see? We look at the outside. We always, well, we see. That's what we see first. And we start to make judgments. Be careful. Be careful with your judgments based upon what you see on the outside. Get to know somebody. Get to know their heart. Get to know what's inside. Find out who they are. And so, so baptism symbolizes a change on the inside. It cha- symbolizes a cleansing of the heart. You know, that something's changed, but it's changed on the inside. And then when things change in Romans, the sixth chapter, the beginning at the first verse. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, well, if God's got all this grace to pour out and he's so willing to love us and forgive us and pour out grace, well, maybe we ought to just keep sinning so he has something to pour his grace out on. Well, that's kind of foolish. So certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or you do not know, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You know, first of all, it says that as Christ was buried into death, that we too identify with his death. That we identify that as Christ, as Christ died and rose again, that we too need to die to our old life. We need to die to sin. We need to die to sin. So that we can walk in newness of life. So that we can walk in newness of life. There has to be that, there has to be that happening. You know, we have to receive what Jesus did. What Jesus did. And it says, knowing that our old man was crucified with him. Our old man. Our old sinful nature. That, that thing that we're born with. That thing that kind of hangs around our neck. And, and we do things and say, oh, I don't want to do that. That nature, that nature, it's, for, it's forgiven, but we have to crucify it as Christ was crucified. We have to crucify that nature. And we have to deal with it. Sometimes we have to deal harshly with it because you know what? Our old natures are strong. They're strong. And if you've walked in the old nature a long time, it's even stronger. It's even stronger sometimes. But sometimes I believe also that we sometimes try to quit sinning so much that we ought to spend more time trying to walk in newness of life. You know, almost sometimes when you quit doing something so hard, you spend time on it, it almost gives credence to it. And I believe sometimes as Christians, we need to learn how to walk the way God would have us to walk. Because the Bible says if we walk according to him, we won't do those things. And so I believe a lot of times we just need to start walking the right way. We need to identify with his resurrection. We need to identify with newness of life so that sin no longer reigns in our mortal body, it says. That we don't, we don't obey it. It's not that it goes away. It's not that it goes away. I believe it lessens. But I believe if we get lax, if we don't do the things we're supposed to, I believe it'll pop right back up. Because I believe the Bible says that it's an ongoing situation. In Luke, the ninth chapter, the 23rd verse. It says, Jesus says to them, he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I believe that that cross 
we take it up daily. I believe that baptism is a beginning. It's an identification, but it's not the end. If baptism is the end, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because it says we daily. We daily take up our cross and we follow him. It's not a one-time thing. It happens. It happens at a time. But I believe if we start to think, well, I did that once. I'm okay. Well, I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to obey what God says. I don't have to obey his word. I don't have to follow him. I was baptized, so I'll be okay. I believe that's a dangerous road. Dangerous road. Because Jesus says that we need to daily take up our cross and follow him. We daily. Why? Because if we don't, I believe we will start to slip. I believe if we don't, we start to get lax. If we don't, we start to disobey. We start to not do the things we ought to do. We start not to read his word. We start not to pray. We start not to want to be in fellowship with other believers. We start to walk a little different path. And I believe it becomes very dangerous. But I believe for the Christian, we need to daily deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. It's an everyday, everyday effort. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Why? Because we need it every day. We need it every day. The Bible says that we, we, we make it to the end. The apostle Paul says, I've run the race. Well, how far did he run it? We ran it to the end. He didn't say, well, I started the race, and boy, I'm doing good. I started the race, and I haven't worried about it for 30 years. No, he says, I've run the race, and I finished the course. I did it to the end. And I believe for the Christian, that has to be what we do. We daily take up our cross, we follow him, and we run a race to the end to the end. I've been thinking about, oh, I maybe shouldn't even say it, but I've been thinking about people who retire, and somebody asked me this morning if I was retiring, and if you heard that, the answer is no. But, um, so I say that to, you know, if I say I've been thinking about retiring, it's not me, but, but I've been thinking about when people retire. And I've been thinking about, well, if you run the race to the end, where do you get to retire? He didn't say I run the race for 30 years and then I get to retire. He didn't say, I run the race for 40, and if I do real good, I get to retire. No, the Christian walk is to the end. It's to the end. We finish. We go to the end. And we finish strong like we start strong. We have to, we have to daily do it. It has to be an ongoing relationship. You know, it's about a relationship. It starts. It has starting points. And then it goes on. You know, today, today we're going to have three, three young people and one older person get baptized. And, you know, they're all starting from different points. What I've noticed about young people, especially very young people, um, they will go through various points of commitment. There will be a time when they, they start, and then there will be times when they 
feel like they may need to make another commitment. They maybe need to make a stronger commitment or maybe they need to make a, another statement. And I believe that's very important. So don't ever discourage your kids from making two or three statements or commitments. I believe it's okay. It's okay. Because different things happen. Different things happen. We get to different points of understanding. You know, God may mean different things to us. And I want to I make a, a, another commitment. You know, and so I think that happens. You know, and especially for children. And, you know, we got people coming from different places. You know, we have an older person, an older person. He's not that old, but he's, you know, a little older than the kids. But, uh, you know, he's making a statement. He's coming from a different place than the children. So what I want to do, let me, let me just explain what we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring those four up, and they're all going to, I'm just going to ask them a couple simple questions. They're going to make a statement of confession of faith. After we do that, I'm going to pray and dismiss you. Then we're going to go, and you can get in your cars if you want to. You can walk if you want to. You'll have time to walk if you want to. But when you came in, there's a pond that was on your left when you came in down on the drive. There's plenty of room to park down there, pull off the drive, or there's room to go back on the stones so we can park around the pond, a few, some. Especially if you're a little older and it's easier, you don't have to walk so far, you can pull up closer to the pond. When I dismiss, um, I'm going to change clothes. Um, there's going to be some men in the congregation who are going to pick up these chairs in front of you, on the, the, just the chairs up on the dance floor. They're going to pick up these chairs and they're going to put them away. And we're all going to work our way down to the pond. So that's, that's the process. Once we get everybody down there, then we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll do the baptism. So just so you kind of get a picture of what's going to happen. So um, if everyone is going to get baptized, um, let, me, let me see. Let me read their names. Um, I don't have the names in front of me, but I can remember. Isaac Metzger, this is scary. Isaac Metzger, come on up, Isaac. Jillian Maine. Sophie Gillespie. And Ron Frankfather. Okay, and I'll tell you what, you can, don't, those people are scary. Don't look at them, you just look like this. Here, look, look at me, they're kind of scary out there. <laughs> no. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions you can ask people, and I don't have a, I don't have a, always the same question, so I usually just think about it and I ask questions, but it's, it's just a statement of faith. It's a public statement of what they believe. And so today, I just ask you publicly, do you confess that you are a sinner and that you accept Jesus Christ in his blood as the payment for your sin? If so, say, yes, I do. And then do you promise to be faithful to Jesus' word and to follow him the rest of your life? If so, say, yes, I do. And do you promise to read his word and to grow in your faith, to continue in fellowship with fellow, with fellow believers so that they can encourage you as you walk with him? If so, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that works in our hearts and lives and draws us to you. Lord, we just thank you for these individuals, Lord, who have come to make this statement of faith to be baptized today. Lord, I just pray you just encourage them and work in their hearts. 
Lord, we thank you that you're working in our hearts. And it's not just a cleansing of the outside. It's not just water. But, Lord, it's your Holy Spirit working in our hearts and drawing them closer to you. Lord, we thank you for their confession of faith. Lord, I just pray that all those that are in the crowd today, Lord, that are listening, that, Lord, you would work in our hearts too. Lord, those that have walked with you, just encourage us, Lord, to finish the race. Finish the race. Lord, if there's anyone here who hasn't made that confession, who hasn't made that decision, Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, just speak to their hearts. Help them to see the need to accept you and what you've done for them. That, Lord, it's your blood that cleanses their sin. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I just pray you'd be with us now as we go down to the pond. We just pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. See you at the